After personally experiencing the brokenness of the American healthcare industry with the death of his father, our next guest has become a national leading advocate of market-based reform and is building healthcare superstore that delivers convenient, high-quality, full-scope medical care at affordable prices. David Goldhill, CEO of Sesame, joins us to discuss his team's strategy of bringing healthcare services into the 21st century by removing the complexities and commitments that burden its consumers for a meaningfully better experience. Join us to learn why and how David and the Sesame team are on a mission to deliver radically normal healthcare for our nation as we continue to work together to move our industry forward. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. David, welcome to our podcast. I'm honored to meet up with you today. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. Well, given your mission critical work to be a leading voice and change agent of market-based healthcare reform since the publication of your cover story of the September 2009 issue of The Atlantic, How American Healthcare Killed My Father, I'm grateful to spend time with you today and to have this important conversation. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, David, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the team have turned your company Sesame into the healthcare superstore that delivers convenient, high-quality, full-scope medical care at affordable prices. But first, What's that one piece of advice that you would give others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? Well, I think a question that should be central but is often overlooked in new ideas in healthcare is, am I making this simpler for the patient or more complicated for the patient? There are an incredible number of ideas that people think will make healthcare better that just make it more complicated. Oh, David, it sounds like we're uh, trying to bring back a little Steve Jobs Calling Steve Jobs, right? He always said to make things look simple is very, very difficult, right? And it is tough. This industry is very complex. But man, if you can simplify things for the consumer, for the end patient, that's the sweet spot. And I'm imagining this is something that you guys probably focus in on day in and day out, eh? Near and dear to our heart. Probably the most important thing. And it's hard. I mean, how hard is it? Well, it never contradicts your host, but it's actually easy, right? Because there's a really low bar. that's a great contradiction and well said i mean you just said something that that is important right you said nothing's easy it's really hard and it's hard to make it easy but in fact it's such a low bar because being a patient is such a difficult experience in our healthcare system from the simplest which should be the simplest imaginable task just finding someone to see you and treat you to figuring out what it costs to figuring out how you're going to pay for it and who's paying for it and which is being The complexities abound everywhere. So there's actually lots of areas to make it simple. What we've done, though, what we like to call radically normal healthcare, is reimagine the whole thing from first principles. 
which is forget about insurance, forget about reimbursement, forget about all of the complexities around that and just build as we have a marketplace where all healthcare services are listed for a price. And you pay that price up front and you go and get the service. And it looks like anything else you do in the rest of your life. And that's the full journey. David, you're making my life way too easy right now. (laughs) Thank you for contradicting me because I get so wrapped up sometimes in thinking about when I say multi-sided aspect of healthcare, and this is more than just two, right? It's federal policy. You have insurance companies, you have the providers, you have the patient. There's so many different angles of healthcare. It is complex. But at the end of the day, David, and I know we're going to dive into this, there are some areas where we can actually get really simple because the bar is so low. And I know we're going to unpack that and I cannot wait. Well, and I'm doing an unfair trick, right? Which is you are aware, of course, of all of those levels that interfere between what used to be a simple doctor to patient relationship. I haven't wished them away. Just in the sesame world, they simply don't exist. It is directly doctor to patient with us just facilitating that in as thin and simple a way as you can online. Well, I cannot wait to unpack how you guys are doing that at Sesame and the journey that you've laid out for us on this podcast episode, because we have a lot to cover after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with David Goldhill, CEO of Sesame. David, that was a fun intro. I appreciate the lively banter and contradicting me. I really do appreciate it. That's brilliant. We, We have a lot to cover today. Thank you for joining up. You know, obviously you haven't been in healthcare your entire career. And these are the people that I love most. We need new leaders. We need new mind share in this space. We have got to change course. We can't keep doing what we've been doing. It's not answering the call. So having somebody that hasn't spent their entire career in healthcare, I'm excited to learn more from you. Take us on that founder's journey a bit, of course, how it all came to be with Sesame. Then, you know, how are things going today with Sesame? How's things in the marketplace? Then where's things heading, right? The world's changing. It's been changing rapidly since March of 2020 with the pandemic, and it's only getting faster and faster, as you know, David. Of course, we want to be able to help you out, maybe one problem, need, or question you have for us, and then we'll get you out of here. But first, David, give us a little bit of that journey now, how Sesame came to be. Well, Mike, as you mentioned, my personal journey was out of the longtime industry I was in, which was media and entertainment, and into healthcare. And for me, you were kind enough to mention your introduction, it came out of an article I'd written about my father's death from a hospital-acquired infection, and my subsequent learning just how common that was. 
and how many of them were regarded as relatively easily preventable, and yet hospitals didn't make the effort to prevent them. And asking that sort of big question, what does it tell us about healthcare as an industry that a large number of often fatal mistakes can be fixed at very low cost and aren't? I mean, just the business incentives around that, right, in a customer-facing industry. And I think, you know, obviously at this point, I've, I've written quite a bit on healthcare, spoken quite a bit on healthcare, made a lot of mistakes in my analysis of healthcare. But, you know, the fundamental thing that I've talked about is the problem with healthcare is in the 21st century, this should be a consumer-facing industry. The bulk of healthcare services now are about things that patients are really involved in the journey. They're about chronic conditions, how to manage them, how to treat them. And it's not the sort of auto mechanic model of your carburetor's broken, we got to fix your carburetor anymore. That is some part of healthcare, but much smaller than most people anticipate. Yet that's the way we built healthcare around this sort of reactive thing instead of this heavily patient involvement thing. Really simple. If that's how healthcare needs to be, how can it get there if the real customer of the industry are big insurers and government instead of us? And we're going to go there and unpack that because I cannot wait to hear what your answers are and your thinking around that. But first, I got to take it back because it's fascinating to me. You were for over 10 years, the president and CEO of GSN. You're operating a U.S. cable television network that's seen in 80 million homes, one of the world's largest digital game companies. You know, that is an amazing, amazing post that you had there at GSN. And then, of course, you mentioned you had that experience with your father. And a lot of people in our country and beyond have those personal experiences where, you know, healthcare didn't answer the call for our loved ones. But you had that moment in time with your father and you went from, you know, your president CEO position in media into healthcare. What took you there? Like, how did you make that jump into I'm all in, I'm going and taking my mindset and my passion over to healthcare? Well, I just thought there was this incredible opportunity around thinking genuinely different about the possibilities in healthcare. I'm somebody who really believes that the healthcare system here and everywhere else on earth are based on mid-20th century ideas of what healthcare is, and it's 70 years later. And, you know, I've spent a decade in healthcare advocacy and spoken on all sorts of conferences and met every expert imaginable. And what strikes me is in healthcare, we worship the old. So now that I'm old, I can correctly say, that's terrible. In the most dynamic industry you have, you don't want 60, 70, 80-year-old institutions. You want constant change that reflect the way needs change, demographics change, people change. If you go back and look at what the United States looked like when Medicare and Medicaid was passed versus today, the wealth of the people, the diversity, the enormous range of lifestyle, family formation, career and relationship to work decisions that are made today versus then. It's absurd you would be working on the bones of a mid-1960s healthcare system. But in fact, in healthcare, everybody says, well, it's just, you know, we came up with these great ideas in the 40s in the United Kingdom or the 50s and 60s in the US. Terrible on its face. What you want is healthcare to be not your most dynamic industry, not your most unchanging industry. And the expert pride in, oh, this institution's been around for 60 or 70 years, like that's a good thing, is astonishing to me because every other dynamic, capable industry where we've taken advantage of technological change to serve consumers better, cheaper, and easier has been totally transformed during that same period of time in an unrecognizable way. Thank you for saying that. I could not agree more. Bravo. This needs to be said more. So we get stuck in healthcare, at least from my perspective, it sounds like you're right there with me. 
of, well, this is how it's always been done. This is, you know, the kiss in the ring of orthodoxy. This is always the way it's been done. And so why change, right? But I'll also say as well, David, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And then we're going to get into exactly what you've built at Sesame. Isn't healthcare sometimes running exactly how it was planned to be? Because there are a lot of stakeholders doing very well in this industry as it currently stands. Well, I mean, I think that is a very powerful point, obviously. And it's one of the reasons that I'm not a believer that policy is ever really going to change. You know, one of my favorite statistics, in the mid-1960s, we spent about $250 per person on healthcare. You know, now the number is up in the low teens of thousands, right? But what hasn't changed is the share of healthcare that goes to each of the big players. Hospitals are still getting basically the same share. So are doctors. So are pharma companies. I mean, you look at those numbers and you say, find me any other industry this is true of. It's like a Soviet-style industry. And the reason is, when you look at reforming healthcare from a policy top-down perspective, and that's how everything we do, you're making compromises, right? You're making compromises among power groups. You can't do you know, value-based care without protecting every single player in the industry, which means it's not transformative anymore, right? It's just a bureaucratic fudge. Almost every reform we do has got to be politically based. And so the major reason that we started Sesame is we said, look, there's enough of an opportunity to start over and well serve some percent of the population, not 100, but 10, 15, 20, and build something genuinely better, genuinely different. And then we'll see what happens. You know, what we expect to happen is people say, get me out of this terrible system I'm in now. You're never going to do that through government policy, no matter how well-meaning people are. Well, you teed me up perfectly, David. You said what you guys are building at Sesame, it may not be for everybody, but there definitely is a segment out there in the marketplace that wants this. So let's go there, David. What is Sesame? So Sesame, which is at sesamecare.com, but Sesame is a direct pay platform for patients and providers who sell and buy healthcare services in a normal way, by which I mean doctors list their appointments list their services. They use English language. They don't use insurance codes. They commit to doing A, B, C, D, and E in the course of your appointment. There's a price and a time. You buy the appointment. And what we found is that for patients who are value conscious about the cost of care and find themselves bearing much, if not all, of their care out of pocket for a variety of reasons, and the doctors and other providers who want to serve them, this sort of thin admin layer, introducing them to each other, Collecting the money so there's no credit issues is a lifesaver. I mean, we have basically exploded in our first year of operation, right? And the reason is for a patient who does not have great insurance, and there's fewer and fewer people who have great insurance, healthcare is a big out-of-pocket burden. The savings on Sesame and the ease of use on Sesame and the sort of lack of enormous commitment you need to make to navigating and figuring out the paper is such of such high value that one year into this, on any given day, almost half of our customers are repeat customers, even though we're growing by 15 to 20% a month. Wow, that's powerful. David, let's dive in a little bit in the weeds there too. In regards to types of care, you guys focus on specific types of care today. And then what does tomorrow look like as well? We are truly a marketplace. So we invite, at this point, mostly it's doctors asking, physicians, clinics, labs, diagnostic facilities to list on our site. They can list, there's a few rules, right? Which is you have to list an actual price. It's a fixed price. You list the services that are in that price. You list the actual availability you have and then tons of information on the practice to let a patient choose whether it's where she wants to go for her care. And patients come to the site and, as I mentioned, 
pay for their care and secure their time. The range of care sold on Sesame in our first year, I believe, I'm hoping this is right as of today, but appointments in now 65 medical specialties. We have basically everything. We sell outpatient procedures and patients have already literally started to buy them on the site. Now, of course, you can't just go to Sesame and say, gee, what I'd, you know, what I'd really like today is a colonoscopy and most states you need a doctor's order, but that works through the site as well. And you know, I'm very pleased to say we have 15,000 providers all across the country listed on the site. And as I say, it is everything imaginable. We have a pharmacy as well, which I'm pretty certain for almost anything you need is the low-cost pharmacy. You know, our obsession is for this patient, who's the most disenfranchised patient in the American healthcare system, to actually have the best and highest value experience of any patient in the healthcare system. That's our goal. And David, let's keep talking about the patient. By the way, that's fascinating and an amazing work. In regards to think of patient Mike, he's in Denver and I need a colonoscopy and there might be a result that there are no, you know, doctors within my market for that. And then if so, how might that be able to get fulfilled or not? Well, here's what might happen. You need a colonoscopy and you're uninsured. So there's a very good chance that there will be a facility that offers the lowest cash price colonoscopy available. There is an almost certain chance that that price will be 30 to 40 to 50% below the in network rate on your insurance plan. And so, literally, you might go to your insurance plan and find out here's an in network doctor that's $1,500. You have a $5,000 or a $10,000 deductible. That's coming out of your pocket. I don't know about the Denver market offhand. I'd have to go online to see what's available there. But certainly, in some of our markets, that procedure could cost eight $900. And, you know, certainly, for many of the patients who come to Sesame, that's a meaningful savings of money. And that's one of the reasons people come. But within that is that Sesame works very, very hard on quality issues. So the doctors can't list on our platform unless they're willing to be openly rated on quality on every single transaction on Sesame. We keep that data. At some point, I would suspect in the next year, we'll feel we'll have enough scale in all those transactions. There's 100,000 patients now, but I'd like that number to be a bit bigger before we do this. When we start publishing that data so that it's available for everybody, that's one of the things that all of our providers agree to when they join Sesame. I want to be rated publicly. I want the quality to be seen. We have asked several handfuls of doctors to leave the platform because of quality issues. We track carefully. It's very important to us that a patient coming to Sesame isn't feeling I'm getting a great price because this isn't a great doctor, but rather I'm getting a great value. And we haven't talked much about this because these are doctors who prefer to serve direct pay patients because they find the whole insurance complexity and cost and uncertainty and enormous investment of their time to be unattractive for their own reasons as well. Was there anything during this experience with the pandemic, which of course uh, bended every facet of life, business, social or otherwise, Was there anything that was eye-opening to you and the Sesame team that maybe you didn't anticipate or, holy cow, there's something here. We need to pour gas on that. Give us any insights on what it's been like with the experience of the pandemic. Oh, it was no surprise. They told us in Wuhan about the lab leak ahead of time. We were prepared years in advance. I mean, the whole thing has been a surprise and a complete shock to the way we did business before the pandemic. You know, Sesame was preparing to launch in Houston and a couple other places in Florida and Texas with an in-person appointment network. Well, the pandemic hit and of course we couldn't launch because all the practices were closed. One of the things we did is we launched a telemedicine marketplace. Now, think about as telemedicine became the important part of healthcare delivery in this country, the major part of non-COVID healthcare delivery, what choice a doctor faced. So a doctor could see her existing patients through FaceTime or something more medically environmental, a doxy type of uh, software. 
or could rent her time out to one of the big, you know, Teladoc or other telemed companies. What Sesame enabled was that doctor could put up her shingle on Sesame. I will see new patients and in Sesame not only create an economic model around that for the doctor, but also a video capability right on the site. What's interesting, and we found this out very, very early, is that doctors were willing to price very, very attractively. Their marginal cost of providing that care was low. Most of them were literally performing at home. They liked the independence. They liked the chance to meet new patients. And we had extraordinarily great priced or comprehensive or interesting packages of telemed, you know, while everybody was just still doing urgent care. We would have endocrinologists list video endocrinology. Why not, right? I'm sitting at home and there are patients out there who might need to talk to an endocrinologist. And that happened immediately and was extraordinary. And I think ultimately about Sesame, I think the way ultimately Sesame will transform American healthcare is by bringing consumer tools, we are so used to and everything else to healthcare to this sector for the first time, whether it's interesting packaging, right? If you're a doctor now, you can't package your care. You got to sell whatever the insurer tells you they'll reimburse. You can't do interesting packages and subscriptions. I mean, you can in the premium end of the market, but not for our type of consumer who concerned about the buck. You can't use packaging to help a consumer afford care. You can't use dynamic pricing as a way. I mean, one of the first things we saw when we did our beta is we had late night pediatrician join and she posted her hours at a premium. There are no late night pediatricians in the United States. Even though anyone with a kid knows the first time your kid gets sick and you go crazy, oh my God, this is terrible, is always at 11 o'clock at night. Always at some biological rule. I don't, I didn't do well in biology, but your first child, the first time she gets ill is going to be 11 o'clock at night. And within a day of Sesame launching, we had a late night at pediatrician. And what's interesting about that is she's charging a premium, but she's also charging a 90% discount to the emergency room. You want to know how to get people not to go to the emergency room? You have cheaper alternatives, even if they're a premium to the regular rate. The other thing we find is that for lots of patients who don't have regular salary jobs, and that's a lot of people in this country, the cost of healthcare isn't the cost of the appointment. It's the cost of giving up a day of work. And so we have Saturday hours and late night hours. The doctors charge slight premiums. Those premiums are massively affordable because I didn't miss a day of work. And all that type of innovation happened immediately and immediately in the pandemic. And then the last thing I'll mention is, I know you have VCs who listen to your show. When I first started to talk to VCs about this idea, many of them said, I can't imagine people buying healthcare online. It's going to take you years to convince people to do that. Well, the pandemic did that for us in six months. Yeah, it definitely changed a lot of things. No, absolutely, David. I couldn't agree more. But again, right, it's that orthodoxy. This is how it's always been, David. These are the models we've seen. These are the returns that we get. And to your point, a lot of the patient who is now the consumer, or at least is we're going to continue to get there, to change the game, right? I love your example of those new parents needing that, that pediatrician at 11 p.m., and there that pediatrician was dynamically priced, maybe a little bit of an increase, but still a heck of a lot cheaper than the current model. And there was an opportunity in the market. David, you know, also I'm imagining patients are probably saying back to you and the Sesame team, where have you been my whole life? Why haven't you done this years ago? What's the answer to that, David? So I won't talk about the answer why I haven't done it, but I can tell you why the system hasn't done it. The system hasn't done it because... The power of reimbursement to prevent anyone from really using a marketplace has been extraordinarily powerful. What's changed is, is the deductibles have gotten so much higher as the cost of insurance is so great that even many middle-income people eligible for subsidies choose not to pay for health insurance. So the nature of being uninsured in America is very different today than it was before the Affordable Care Act, right? It's no longer 
college students and people with long-term, very low income. It's middle-income people who just don't want to pay for healthcare. They view it as a bad deal. All of those things have created enough scale on the demand side to finally build something like this. And I think the same is true on the supply side, the doctor side. 10 years ago, it would have been very difficult for a doctor to imagine having a cash pay part of his practice. That would have been a difficult thing. I get plenty of patients from insurance. But now we have narrow networks. Now we have high deductibles that create great credit problems. Now we have hospitals buying up that doctor's competition and competing against him every day and getting a higher reimbursement rate than he's allowed to charge. And suddenly what you have is among people who should be, by nature, very entrepreneurial, an opportunity to try something different and get a different type of patient. And so both sides of the marketplace, only in the last few years, I think, had the kind of scale that made building something like this possible as a business venture. And what you also said as well, it rings true, right? We are also have been conditioned by other experiences. Look at how we interact with our financial institutions, right? We used to have to actually physically walk into a brick and mortar. Now we can do all of it from our phone, right? So there's a lot of other conditions as well that have really conditioned us to be ready to do this in healthcare, which I think is incredibly exciting. And it's everything is converging in so many good ways. I mean, the financial institution example you give is a very powerful one because You can look back over the last 60 years at a perception that elements of finance were far too complicated, even for sophisticated individuals. And then for the democratization in services is really about something that technology enables, change behavior, and the interplay between those. We haven't seen that in healthcare. You really could look at healthcare today and healthcare in 1965 and see very few differences in industrial structure and how the consumer experiences that industrial structure, which is crazy. Just a small example of this, and I don't mean to whine, but you made me do it. You know, during the pandemic, people were talking about telemedicine like it was this incredible innovation. Well, every grandparent in America was using tele-something for the last 20 years to talk to their grandkids at college, right? This is a technological innovation? No, it was a reimbursement innovation. And what we can never forget about healthcare is the retardant, isn't it? You know, you mentioned Steve Jobs. One thing I used to hear at conferences all the time is, where are the Steve Jobses in healthcare? Healthcare attracts the smartest people in the world, many of whom are certifiably saints, so devoted to humankind, the most innovative, incredible people on earth. But the Steve Jobses of healthcare have nobody to sell to. They got to convince Medicare or United Healthcare to allow them to sell something innovative. Steve Jobs couldn't have been the Steve Jobs of healthcare. He went straight to the consumer. We so underestimate the power of having to go to the consumer in driving real change. I appreciate that. And well said and framing it up for my next question, David, the future to me is the consumer, right? You and I, I think, are there fully believing all in. And so let's talk about that future state. I mean, David, let's even talk, you know, just the next 18, 24, 36 months, things are accelerating in a great clip. I can't tell you how much I love it. I think it's wonderful. What are you seeing on the horizon from your chair, from your office, not only, you know, on the macro level of where we're heading, as an industry, but of course, where Sesame is going as well. Well, I do see everything with Sesame colored glasses. That's how I spend my time thinking about healthcare. What we've seen is a growing awareness among patients as to what their real financial position is. We have in this country developed a system of catastrophic insurance without calling it that, and equally importantly, without making it work, right? So the whole idea of high deductibles is patients would shop around, and that would drive change because providers would want their business. And then what did we do? We let insurers say to patients, even though it's your money, it's got to run through our network. Killed competition like that. I'm sorry for snapping on your podcast. 
killed competition like that, right? And that was crazy. That little decision undermined the entire reason you wanted to create markets and healthcare and individual responsibility. And so now we've put people in the worst of both positions. It's their money. They can't control it. They can't use it to drive savings. And providers don't have the opportunity to take advantage of that market to be innovative about price and value and packaging and all those other good things. But no trend, unsustainable trends end. That's an unsustainable trend. Uh, The empowering of the patient is coming. And some of that is about economics. But some of it is about the change in the nature of what's going on in the therapeutic world, right? Healthcare is becoming ever more targeted, ever more personal. The conditions are experienced different by individuals. That's the nature of chronic conditions. The right advice for you dealing with a chronic condition can be different for me dealing with a different one, with exactly the same one, I'm sorry, because we're different people. And that is a healthcare system that will function in the 21st century well because of therapeutic reasons, not economic ones. But the business of healthcare has got to match that. You're going to do personalized medicine. You're not going to do it through giant third-party payers. It's just not going to work. And so all of those things feel unsustainable to me. It doesn't mean they collapse tomorrow. But over time, we've built an industry around mid-20th century assumptions. Mid-21st century care is going to look nothing like mid-20th century care. These institutions can't survive. The question is what replaces them. Very good question. A very good one. And of course, well, maybe we might just have to bring you back on, David, for to answer that question and maybe a year from now. So we'll see. Maybe there's a part two to all this. I'm much better at questions than answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, of course, we want to flip the script on you a little bit as well, David. We have an amazing community rallied around this podcast, some of the you know industry's brightest and most dedicated minds to move the industry forward. What's one problem need or question that you and the team have that we can be helping you with? Well, I would say it's not a problem as much as it is the day-to-day challenge and therefore needs to improve each and every day, which is how do you communicate information about care, about, again, not just price, but the quality of care and what you're receiving and what's available and how to patients and potential patients in a way that is clear and effective. Again, just thinking about our exchange at the beginning of the show, it's a really low bar. Our goal is not to clear a low bar. Our goal is to clear a high bar. And so we're committed every single day that the experience on Sesame feels easier and more accessible, just like it does in everything else in life now, at least those things that online has been effective in. And one of the biggest sources of feedback we get from people is how to do that, how to make it simpler, easier to use, easier to understand easier to follow your journey. The fact is that most healthcare services lead to other healthcare services. Actually, most healthcare services lead to go home and you'll feel better. But the ones that don't very often lead to other healthcare services, the coordination among those is crucial to us. Again, our goal is that a patient on Sesame doesn't just have a lower cost experience, but has a meaningfully better experience in terms of how simple it was to use to navigate and to follow up and track your care. I desperately ask for any ideas people have along those lines, because as I say, our goal is to make it a little better every day. Well, I know there's community members out there that are fired up about this as well, David. So of course, in order to get a hold of you and share some stories and kick some ideas around, what's the best way to get a hold of you, social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where can we find you? You've got a good idea for me. Email me, david.goldhill at sesamecare.com. Easy enough. Website, sesamecare.com as well, just the website itself? That's right, sesamecare.com. Easy enough. And for our community, you can just scroll on down into the episode notes of your favorite podcast player to click on through to get a hold of David and the team. Of course, you can always head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be an article posted for David's episode where you can also leave comments, feedback, suggestions, or otherwise for David and the team, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. 
Well, David, like I said, I think I already teed you up for another episode. Where are they now? Maybe a year from now, we'll come back. We'll revisit some of these questions that you posed and see where things are. You guys are doing amazing work. But before I get you out of here so you can get back after Sesame and causing all the good trouble you guys are, I have one more piece for you. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I'm not going to give up. I knew it. I knew you're going to bring the heat at the end there, David. You made it so simple. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) I love it. David, joking aside, an unbelievable time with you today. Thank you for taking a pit stop to be on our podcast and more importantly, with our community. We appreciate everything you're doing. We look forward to being in touch. But for now, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.